So, um, yeah, Dr. Dave and I were away last week. I know I heard you prayed for us at General Assembly. I don't have a big uh, presentation. We're going to kind of leave that till next week. Uh, Dr. Dave comes on a non-communion Sunday. So, but we had a good time. Let's start our sermon uh, time with a prayer that is a prayer that Ulrich Zwingli, one of the great reformers from Zurich, Switzerland. I don't know if you noticed the artwork on the PowerPoint, but it's of the Reformation Monument for the great reformers. He's one of them. And so he used to pray this prayer. Probably not in English, but here's the English translation. So let's, let's open our time with this prayer. Almighty, eternal, and merciful God, whose word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, open and illuminate our minds that we may understand your word and that our lives may be conformed to what we have rightly understood, that in nothing we may be displeasing to your majesty. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, amen. I was recently looking at pictures for our photo collage in our church office. Louise Gross is uh, updating the pictures and so I was sorting through various picture folders and files and I came upon a worship service from 2005. And there were three men, Frank Pugh, Todd Trailer, and myself. It was an ordination service for us uh, to become ruling elders. And it was uh, as meaningful an ordination service as all of the other ones when we bring new officers forward. It had all the elements of affirming the Bible as the word of God, confession of our faith, vowing to be faithful to the duties of our office that required of us, uh, kneeling, laying on of hands, prayer, the whole thing. But it was especially meaningful because Mark Rist gave us the charge. And he knelt down and pulled out a container of water and took our socks and shoes off and washed our feet and reminded us that that's what Christ modeled, serving one another. And so we are to continue to serve one another. It was very meaningful. I also have pictures from 2010 when this time I was by myself up front being ordained as a teaching elder. If you don't know the difference, if you're not into all the Presbyterian lingo, the difference between teaching and ruling elder, just one word, seminary. Uh, Once I got through, then I could become a teaching elder. So a ruling elder is what we call elders, teaching elders generally we call pastors. But there's one office. And so I was being ordained there. And again, a great uh, service. Um, the chur- this church has ordained me twice, which I don't know if that means I'm super spiritual or, or I'm just slow and a total mess because it didn't take the first time. I'm not sure. Okay, I, I had a feeling. Um, so those of you who were around for either ordination or if you've seen any of the ordinations, we had uh, four deacons last year get ordained. Uh, you know that we, we try to be biblical and have a godly service. But you know, I got to thinking after reading Exodus 29, 
working on my sermon this week, maybe those services aren't quite as biblical as, as they should be. Um, I don't know if you, I don't remember us bringing a bull and two rams up front to slaughter them and sprinkle their blood on an altar. Um, maybe I'm just blacking out on that part of the service, but I mean, that's what Exodus 29 tells us to do for our ordination and consecration services. But can you imagine the headlines of the Loudon Times Mirror? Uh, I think we would be the most infamous church around just for being biblical. But, uh, but there are many reasons beyond just not grossing you out and horrifying our community why we don't follow this service. But it is still worth our time to read what the Lord gave as a gift to his people in Exodus 29. Last week, Josh K. preached so well on the holy garments of the priests. I've read it, listened to it. He did a great job. Thanks, Josh. And at the end of his passage, chapter 28, verse 14, it says this. You shall put them on Aaron, meaning the garments. Put the garments on Aaron, your brother, and on his sons, which is with literally his sons at the time, but his descendants too. This was gonna be a repeated thing. And shall anoint them and ordain them and consecrate them that they may serve me as priests. So today's chapter will explain the details of that ordination, that consecration. The Lord did not just choose anyone for the tasks in the temple. And he did not allow the priests that he did choose to just dress however they wanted or to approach the tabernacle however they wanted. And because he was entrusting an important position and functions to them, God designed a whole ritual to initiate them into their duties, to underscore once again how holy he was and how worship of him had to be conducted with care solemn thoughtfulness and purity. So the first nine verses of our chapter, Exodus 29, deal with cleansing the outside of the priest. Let's read those first nine verses. Now this is what you shall do to them to consecrate them, that they may serve me as priests. Take one bull of the herd and two rams without blemish, and unleavened bread, unleavened cakes mixed with oil, and unleavened wafers smeared with oil. You shall make them of fine wheat flour. You shall put them in one basket and bring them in the basket, and bring the bull and the two rams. You shall bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance of the tent of meeting and wash them with water. Then you shall take the garments and put on Aaron the coat and the robe of the ephod, and the ephod and the breastpiece, and gird him with the skillfully woven band of the ephod. And you shall set the turban on his head and put the holy crown on the turban. You shall take the anointing oil and pour it on his head and anoint him. Then you shall bring his sons and put coats on them. You shall gird Aaron and his sons with sashes and bring caps on them, and the priesthood shall be theirs by a statute forever. Thus you shall ordain Aaron and his sons. So the ordination, the, the setting apart to the office, the office of priest, started with them 
and being completely washed. Then they are clothed in all of those articles. And again, I won't go over them again. If you missed Josh's sermon on that, go back and read it or listen to it. It's on our website. And then after they're clothed, they are anointed with oil. And uh, in the interest of time, we're gonna kind of move through this quickly. Not a whole lot to say, except that, that this just makes the, the priests clean and acceptable on the outside, right? They looked good, they smelled nice, they, but they were still sinners. And so there's a conflict between their outward appearance and their inward spiritual condition because to meet with God and to be his holy ordained human representatives, the priests needed to have a cleansing on the inside. So let's pick up verse 10. Cleansing the inside, verses 10 through 21. Then you shall bring the bull before the tent of meeting. Aaron and his sons shall lay their hands on the head of the bull. Then you shall kill the bull before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And you shall take part of the blood of the bull and put it on the horns of the altar with your finger. And the rest of the blood you shall pour out at the base of the altar. And you shall take all the fat that covers the entrails and the long lobe of the liver and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them and burn them on the altar. But the flesh of the bull and its skin and its dung you shall burn with fire outside the camp. It is a sin offering. Then you shall take one of the rams and Aaron and his sons shall lay their hands on the head of the ram. And you shall kill the ram and shall take its blood and throw it against the sides of the altar. Then you shall cut the ram into pieces and wash its entrails and its legs and put them with its pieces and its head and burn the whole ram on the altar. It is a burnt offering to the Lord. It is a pleasing aroma, a food offering to the Lord. You shall take the other ram and Aaron and his sons shall lay their hands on the head of the ram and you shall kill the ram and take part of its blood and put it on the tip of the right ear of Aaron and on the tips of the right ears of his sons and on the thumbs of their right hands and on the great toes of their right feet and throw the rest of the blood against the sides of the altar. Then you shall take part of the blood that is on the altar and of the anointing oil and sprinkle it on Aaron and his garments and on his sons and his sons' garments with him. He and his garments shall be holy and his sons and his sons' garments with him. Wow, okay, a lot happens here. Three animals are sacrificed and the explanation for each one. So first they kill the bull, put the blood on the altar, burn the fat on the altar, then, then take the rest out and burn it outside the camp. Then they kill the first ram, putting its blood on the sides of the altar and burning the rest. And it says it's a food offering, a fragrant incense to the Lord. Then the second ram and its blood have, have a little more specific function. Uh, the blood is smeared, did you catch that, on the right ear of Aaron and his sons, and then the, the right thumb and then the right big toe of Aaron and his sons. And then it's thrown on the sides of the altar and then actually sprinkled 
on their garments. So what does that all mean? Well, uh, some of the rabbinic commentaries have explained the significance that blood on the ear means that a priest will listen to the people. Blood on the thumb means that he will act for their good and blood on his big toe means he will live among them. I don't know if that's true because other commentators said that it has a lot more to do with how the priest acts towards God and that it's more about him listening to God and acting and moving in God's place. Maybe it's both. But it's certainly telling the priest that he is performing duties that are not just for him, for the greater context of the community. And I think the really key part to this whole passage is what's called transference. And you might have missed it when we first read through it. But essentially the unholiness and the impure nature of the priests, the sin and the guilt, is transferred to each animal before their sacrifice. It's, it may just sound like Aaron and his sons are holding the animal steady. That may sound what been what it sounded like while the, the animal is slaughtered. But there's more going on there. This is actually a picture of their guilt being placed on the animal's head. And then the animal is sent to die in the place of the priest. God has, in a sense, executed his death penalty against their sin. But in his mercy, the priest didn't have to die. He was given a substitute. So we'll come back to that idea of transference in our application conclusion section. But let's, let's finish the rest of the chapter. I'm not gonna read the whole thing. It's long. I've gotten kind of used to these very long chapters and since we have communion. Let, let me summarize verses 22 through 42 and then we'll read the last few. Uh, the next, the four verses, 22 through 25, say that the fat of the ram would be combined with several kinds of bread to be held up or waved by Aaron and his sons and then burned. This would be a, a food offering to God. Its aroma would be pleasing to him. We're all gonna do the same thing, 4th of July, right? Have meat on our grills. Not exactly the same, but... The next nine verses, 26 through 34, give provision for Aaron and his sons to eat. The, the breast and the thigh parts of the ram. I don't, I don't know if you're reading through as I'm going through it, but here's the uh, summary of it. Uh, those parts of the ram were, were put aside for the priests, and along with bread, that would be their meal. And no one else was to eat it. And anything left over was burned. And so we see that there is provision for a meal for both the Lord and his priests. Verses 35 through 37 talk about how the ordination ceremony would last seven days. Our ordination ceremony is 20, 30 minutes. Imagine seven days. And each day a, a different bull is sacrificed. And then verses 38 through 42 explain that there will be an ongoing series of sacrifices every morning and every evening at twilight, a one-year-old lamb 
would be given as a burnt offering. Now, I know this can be disturbing. This, the Bible is not very PETA-friendly. It's violent and gruesome. What did these poor lambs do to deserve this death? And I don't have a great sensitive answer. I think it's why we let the two through six-year-old kids leave, right? Um, but except to say that God choose, chose to use them to provide and protect for his people. Animals are put on this earth for our use, for God's use. They're not free moral agents with equal rights to humans. That doesn't excuse animal cruelty or anything like that. But the bigger issue, I think, is that our worldview has to be God-centered. We often talk about how it can't be man-centered, but it certainly can't be animal-centered or, or nature-centered. We have to understand the scriptures from a God-centered worldview, or they will not make sense. If we start to say, no, he can't do that because we've lost it. The whole chapter ends with the reminder of God's presence. Because ultimately, God is ordaining these priests to intercede for the people. And God is, remember, as we've talked through the tabernacle, promised his presence, but on his terms. And so his, his men are to serve. So here's what he says in verses 43 through 46. There I will meet with the people of Israel, and it shall be sanctified by my glory. I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar. Aaron also and his sons I will consecrate to serve me as priests. I will dwell among the people of Israel and will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of the land of Egypt that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. Okay, so the priests are cleansed clothed, anointed, atoned for, fed. What does that have to do with us or with you? All of you sitting in these seats, you don't have to think about consecration and ordination except as it relates to, you know, officers in the church occasionally service, right? It just applies to them. Well, not exactly. I don't know if you've been reading your first Peter recently. Let's remember what Peter says. Chapter 2, verse 5. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. He's not just talking to the leaders in the church. He's talking to all the church, to all the elect, all the saints. You are a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And then the, a couple verses later, verse 9, second half, first half, you are a chosen race, a what? Royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. The Protestant church has always taught from Martin Luther on down the priesthood of all believers. God has 
equally accessible to all those who are saved in Christ. And every Christian has equal potential to minister for God. I want you to turn to your neighbor and say something. I know you hate this. I go to conferences. I hear talks. They make me say all this goofy stuff, but we're going to do it anyways. I want you to kind of point to me, point up front, turn to your neighbor and say, I'm just as much a priest as he is. Uh, Do it again, and this time say, you're just as much a priest as he is. Thank you. I wasn't sure you'd do it. All right. So now we know that this applies to us. How? First thing, we are washed with water. First step for the priests. 1 Corinthians 6, 11, but you were washed. You were sanctified. And this you is always y'all, yins, okay? You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Baptism is the outward, visible symbol, right, of the inward spiritual reality of our being washed and cleansed by the Holy Spirit. Second, we're clothed in Christ's righteousness. Galatians 3.27 says, All of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. If you tried to come before God with the filthy rags of your sin, of your life, you would not be allowed in His presence. Christ's robe of perfect righteousness is given to you so that you are accepted in God's sight as holy. So we're washed, we're clothed, we're anointed. I know we usually say, oh, that that person singing, that was so anointed. That means something else. We are, the Bible says we're all anointed. 1 John 2.20, you have been anointed by the Holy One and you all have knowledge. Anointing is a blessing to us and an acknowledgement of our position. And most importantly, we're atoned for. Just as the bull took on the sins of the priest and was slain and sacrificed on the altar. Remember we talked about transference. So Jesus took on our sins as he was being slain on the cross so clear in the book of Hebrews chapter 9 verses 13 and 14 for if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh how much more will the blood of Christ Jesus is better to sang it who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And first Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For our sake, He, God, made Him, Jesus, who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Transference. Every believer has taken hold of Christ and transferred his or her sins onto his head. 
And if you're not a believer, that is the picture of what you can do. Be cleansed of your sin. To be made righteous in God's sight. The priest being made pure inside and out is the picture of us as believers being made right, declared just and pure in the sight of God. And remember, because we just preached through Hebrews last year, that Jesus is a priest too, right? But he is the great high priest. But unlike Aaron or Melchizedek, which is what Hebrews uh, parallels him with, unlike us, we, he doesn't have to be made clean. He already is holy, sinless, and perfect. Hebrews 7, for it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people. He has no need since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. Christ the high priest, once for all time, offered the sacrifice for his people. And he climbed up on the altar and gave his own life to save ours. A man named Charles Simeon was a university student in England in the late 18th century. When he arrived, uh, he attended Eton College in uh, Cambridge. When he arrived, he was not a Christian. And in his first year, he was alarmed to learn that he was going to have to take Holy Communion. He actually wrote his thoughts in a book. He said, Satan himself was as fit to attend there as I was. So knowing it was coming up, he bought a book called The Whole Duty of Man by a Bishop Wilson. And the week before Easter, before he would take communion, he knew he couldn't take it lightly. He couldn't just fake his way through it. He read this section about the Lord's Supper and found a sentence that referred to the sacrifices that we've talked about here in Exodus. It said, the Jews knew what they did when they transferred their sin to the head of their offering. He read that simple explanation. And from there, he said that he found his hope. He said, what, may I transfer my guilt to another? Has God provided an offering for me that I may lay my sins on his head? Then God willing, I will not bear them on my own soul one moment longer. Accordingly, I sought to lay my sins on the sacred head of Jesus. From that hour, peace flowed in rich abundance into my soul and I had the sweetest access to God through my blessed Savior. Charles Simeon became a pastor and reached a lot of those university students. But do you have that sneaking suspicion that you are not good enough for God? That you're not really fit to take communion or to merit any of God's promises and blessings? 
well, good. That's great news because you're not good enough. I'm not good enough. None of us is good enough and the only way that does us any good is if we know it and we admit it. And then we grasp hold of the one who was killed in our place, grasped onto Christ by faith and he will make you worthy. All of your sins transferred to him and in God's sight, he will declare you perfect and holy. Come and feast at his table with that knowledge, having been washed clean, clothed in Christ's righteousness, anointed and atoned for. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much for this passage. It is so easy to approach the scriptures in the Old Testament particularly and wonder how any of it applies to us. But clearly, Lord, you had the writers of scripture, particularly here in Exodus, Moses record those words as a testimony for the following generations after him but all the way through us. Those words are preserved for our good, for our instruction. And we see that we worship you, who are a holy God, unapproachable by us in our sinful condition. We must be robed. We must be clothed correctly. And we must be atoned for or we have we can't come into your presence much less worship you so lord god thank you for the provision in christ the ultimate sacrifice the lamb of god slain from the foundation of the world that plan was ready for us God, that is the truth of the gospel. And it didn't didn't just show up when Christ came to earth. It was there the whole time. And so we understand it in seed form in Exodus and in the Old Testament. But we understand it so much greater as we consider Christ's life, as we consider the whole of the scriptures. So bless us this morning as we understand these things and as we move into our time of communion of celebrating what Christ did on the cross. In Jesus' name, amen. Merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me, for in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadows of your wings I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples on me. God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. My soul is in the midst of lions. I lie down amid fiery beasts. The children of man whose teeth are spears and arrows 
whose tongues are sharp swords. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. They set a net for my steps. My soul was bowed down. They dug a pit in my way, but they have fallen into it themselves. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. Awake, my glory. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Paul wrote, quoting, citing Jesus' commands on the night of the Passover that became the first Lord's Supper. Paul said, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. A couple of your elders have been asked to come up and explain that further. gospel. Recently, I was able to attend a wedding, <laughs> a beautiful wedding. This uh, communion table reminds me of that time because there were so many people there and they got to participate in the wedding, to enjoy the wedding. We were there and we 
heard the Lord's word. We, we sang, we prayed together, and we enjoyed that moment. But there was a time in that ceremony that wasn't for us. It was just for that bride and her beloved, for that bridegroom and his beloved. It was that moment of the exchange of the covenant vows. That was their moment. And they could care less whether we were there or not. And the reason I bring that up is that we're, we're so grateful that you're here today enjoying the word of the Lord, enjoying this worship. But there is now a time, as the Lord says, it's a time of his giving us this covenant sign. This covenant sign is communion. And scripture is very clear that this communion is for his beloved only. And today, um, as James has said, for all those who are the Lord's beloved, for all those who have placed their trust in the Lord Jesus, that is that you proclaim with your mouth that Jesus is your Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, this covenant sign is for you. But if you have not, this covenant sign is not for you. So please, come up, come and pray with us, worship with us, but please pass by these elements. Thank you. Good, thanks, James and Mark. If you are still wondering, we have in also in your bulletin guidelines for participation, particularly if you have questions about children or whether you should partake. But we remind everyone to come down, at least for prayer. Let's take this time to privately confess our sins. Prayer together. Almighty God, we confess how hard it is to be your people. You have called us to be the church, to continue the mission of Jesus Christ to our lonely and confused world. Yet, we acknowledge we are more apathetic than active, isolated than involved, callous than compassionate, obstinate than obedient, legalistic than loving. Gracious Lord, have mercy upon us and forgive our sins. Remove the obstacles preventing us from being your representatives to a broken world. Awaken our hearts to the promised gift of your indwelling spirit. This we pray in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. And now, together, the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. First Peter 2 assures us that we are forgiven in Christ. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. 
He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. And together, Romans 10, 9 and 10. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. And finally, before we consecrate the elements, believer, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, From thence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Ask the elders to come forward as we move into our time of first consecration and then participation. And as the Bread and cup are uncovered and ready. Uh, I'll take this time to instruct if you've never taken communion with us before, and I think there are a few. uh, We come down, so we start down here and work our way up this aisle, and then when they're done, this side goes. Just follow someone. Um, We'd ask the cases, you guys let them through. They're gonna lead during uh, our time. And so before you've taken the elements and afterwards, we ask that you come and sit quietly and and either listen to the music or sing along if you know it. There'll be words on the screen. Uh, If you need to have a conversation, you can take it out there uh, to the hallway there. Um, Do wanna assure you that there is gluten-free bread if you need that, Um, just ask. And all of the cups are juice. There's no wine, so you don't need to figure out which one. With those instructions now, we say again that the Lord Jesus Christ on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it, gave it to his disciples. As I, ministering in his name, give this bread to you and said, take, eat, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup and having given thanks as has been done in his name, he gave it to the disciples, saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Drink from it, all of you. Father God, thank you for your beautiful provision in our lives. In so many ways, we see your hand, and yet we forget. And so we sing, 
make my heart believe. And we know that you've given the Holy Spirit to remind us to be a constant, steady presence and you've given us your word to instruct us and speak directly to us and we still forget. Thank you that we come together as a body to remind each other, to be reminded by the scriptures and thank you that you give us physical things to taste this bread that is your broken body, Christ, and this cup of your blood reminds us of your great sacrifice in our place. So may we eat it in faith. In Jesus' name, amen. So with those instructions, we invite you to come forward, partake of the supper that the Lord has laid out for you, giving himself to you. For the benediction, I hope you'll find a minute to say goodbye to Jeff and Sylvia Case. Is this your last week? Yeah, this is their last week. I especially asked her to, to sing for us. They're moving to Denver, so we'll miss you guys very much. But hear the blessing from Hebrews 13. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good, that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.